there's a lot of magic in film. From the moment between action and cut, a world is created. But what else lingers behind the marker? The Misfits was a film filled with potential, promise, and involved a cast of A-list stars. Unfortunately, it was a film filled with setbacks and bad luck. No one knew that this film would go down in Hollywood lore as a cursed production. Did the film cause the death of Marilyn Monroe, Clark Gable, and Montgomery Clift? Was this film cursed or just hellishly unlucky? We talk about this and much more on episode 8, The Casting Curse of the Misfits and its Paranormal Aftermath. So actors, take your places. Roll sound. Action. Hey guys, welcome back to Hollyweird Paranormal. We are your hosts, Tammy Merhap Chavez. Hello, I'm Bryce Mitchell Williams. Welcome back. Yay. So guys, we're going to be talking about some cursed movies here. Yes. But there's one specific one that was extremely crazy, mm-hmm. and that is The Misfits. Yes. And it's so unique with this film because mm-hmm. it had three very, 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 very large stars. You mm-hmm. had Monroe, Clark Gable, and Montgomery Clift. Those old so-and-sos. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll definitely be talking about like the drama, the mm-hmm. tea, and the curse of this film set. Yes. Was this, you know, a casting curse? And pretty much also go into the paranormal aftermath. What happened after the passing of mm-hmm. these stars? Yes. So we'll definitely jump into that. But other than that, Bryce, how's your week going so far? It's been going really well. It has? Yeah, I feel good. It's the end of February. Can't believe, as always, the the year, no matter what month it is, I'm always like, what's happening? Why is this year like speeding along? I know. It's been insane. Mm-hmm. It's been going so fast by tomorrow will be the end of March. Which is insane. Scary. And by then it'll be a balmy 95 and we'll be sweating to death. I know. It's been so cold here. I'm like, please just stay. Like, l- Let me just have my heater on for one more day. We don't have enough sweaters for this oh. California weather because it's just, it's so indecisive. It's like one day it's 95 and the yep. next day it's like 55. How do you dress for that? How do you, I know, uh, Birkenstock sweaters and. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we look disgusting. We do. That's fine. We look a mess. What ifs? No, but this weather has just been even more, you know, cold and usual mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like last night it was 35 i know i mean my blood has definitely thinned since i've moved <laughs> from the midwest like in when i was in school i would go to class in like a sweatshirt jeans like it was fine now if it dips below like 60 mm-hmm. i'm ready to like rip the wood out of the wall and like start a fire to save us from the cold like it's ridiculous how weak i've gotten but it's what LA does to you. It does. You get tough in some ways and you become a huge baby in other ways. I agree. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I agree. So are you ready to jump into this movie? I'm very ready. All right, guys. So let's talk about The Misfits. I'm sure some of you probably have never heard of this film Mm -hmm. because this was in the 60s. It was in the early 60s. -hmm. And if you're a huge film buff, then you're pretty much set. Yeah. But here we go. We're just going to talk about the movie, uh, what this movie was about. The onset drama, was there a curse, and the deaths that soon followed. 
And it's very unusual with the way that these deaths occurred. Mm -hmm. Now, these were either, you know, natural deaths, you know, or they were premeditated, Mm -hmm. some claim. However, was this movie the cause of these actors' deaths? Mm -hmm. And then we'll go into the paranormal aftermath of what happened with these A-list stars after death. So first off, the movie, The Misfits, was a memorable film that was released in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And don't confuse it with the 1980s animated girl rival band in Gem and the Holograms, <laughs> please, or the horror punk band, The Misfits. FYI, the film is a Western film, and it was a very unique mm-hmm. Western film. But the director was John Houston. And if you are a film buff, he directed The Maltese Falcon, The mm-hmm. African Queen, and Fat City. Screenplay is Arthur Miller. And if you're a dramaturg, you know who he is. Mm -hmm. Or if you were asleep all throughout your high school English courses, (laughs) he is a memorable American playwright, guys, Mm -hmm. who was responsible for writing amazing plays such as The Crucible, A View from the Bridge, and Death of a Salesman. He was also married to Marilyn Monroe for five years. Mm -hmm. Clark Gable, Marilyn Monroe, Montgomery, Montgomery Cliff were the trifecta cast of the film they're primarily the three main stars of this movie so clark gable guys just in little cliff notes about all three of these people uh clark gable born february 1st 1901 in ohio so he's an ohioan living the dream i know clark gable initially had a hard time getting hollywood roles due to his big ears Mm -hmm. in my opinion he kind of looked like he was related to gomez adams he does he totally (laughs) does but he looked like the cuter like version like like of Gomez, or maybe he was like the cuter brother of Gomez. But he reminds me so much of Gomez Adams. So after signing the MGM contract, he was cast with stars like Greta Garbo and Joan Crawford, and his popularity soared. Mm -hmm. He hit box office gold such as, um, with films such as It Happened One Night, sorry, It Happened One Night and Gone with the Wind. And his final film was The Misfits. Mm -hmm. So Marilyn Monroe... Guys, if you do not know who Marilyn Monroe is. <laughs> Who's that? Who's that? Hmm. Is she, <laughs> she brunette? She's, she sounds familiar. I know. Hmm. Uh, Marilyn Monroe was an actress who was born Norma Jean Mortensen in um, June 1st, 1926. She is an L.A. native. And during her all too brief life, Marilyn Monroe became uh, was overcame with difficult childhood mm-hmm. to become one of the world's biggest and most enduring sex symbols. She was known as the Blonde Bombshell. And during her career, Monroe's films grossed more than $200 million. Monroe died of a drug overdose. I put that with finger quotes mm-hmm. on August 5th, 1962, at the age of 36. Ugh, However, so I know there's some people that claim that that whole death was a conspiracy. It was a setup. Oh, man. And that's another episode yeah i was saying we're gonna have to <laughs> dip our toes in the maryland pool yeah dipping our toes that is, very soon that is some that juicy, is a huge story i mean it it encompasses hollywood lore and american history lore and oh everything just everything it's everything and haunted lore and haunted lore yeah it we still a, see homegirl around here she never left juicy piece of the pie she i love is, it i know montgomery clift one of hollywood's first method 
actors. Mm. He made his film debut in Hare, no, Howard Hawks' 1948 western Red River. Mm-hmm. Cliff co-starred with Elizabeth Taylor in A Place in the Sun, mm. Raintree County, and Suddenly Last Summer. A near-fatal auto accident in 57 changed his looks and sent him into a drug and alcohol addiction. Cliff died in 1966 of a heart attack Mm -hmm. as well. So you have three of these stars, big stars, but they're all entering this film bursting at the seams. Mm -hmm. So the film was released in 1961. It costed $4.1 million to shoot it. And it was shot in five areas of Nevada and partially in Los Angeles, California. And Bryce, you have details on the movie, what it was about, the plot? Yes, I do. So for anyone who hasn't seen this film, it Mm -hmm. is a little bit of a journey. You really have to like go with it. It's long and convoluted and very stylized. Yes. But it really is one of the first films where the actors are by and large employing the method, which if you aren't super familiar with acting terms, is... Basically, the idea, if you think of like modern day, like a Sean Penn or any of these actors who really live the character when they talk about that, that's like the that foundation is the method that they're referring to of really not just being the character while the film is rolling or while you're on stage, but embodying and living and breathing that character. And this is one of the first films where all of the major stars are employing the use of the method. So because of that, it at the time, ironically, was not that successful, even with all the star power. Arthur Miller writing it, like he was always a box office hit. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you have Gable and Monroe and Clift, and they're like guaranteed box office hits. And this movie is like kind of not a success right away. No. Which is so crazy. So all that to say, basically, uh, it sort of is a film that explores this group of people and these two women are celebrating or trying to get away after Marilyn Monroe's character finalizes her very hasty divorce. Mm -hmm. So she's divorced and she just needs to like get out of town. They go to this like small town, like little cowboy town and they meet Clark Gable and Montgomery Clift Mm -hmm. and they're cowboys for lack of a better term. Um, And Clark Gable's character also just went through a divorce. So already it's like, ooh, there's chemistry. Mm -hmm. And so they go back to this home with them and kind of do a little, I don't want to say like playhouse, but really like start establishing a camaraderie in this group and like setting up a life, Mm -hmm. even though they've just met. Um, Sorry for the chopper, guys. (laughs) It's a war zone out here. Um, And so, you know, it's this unfinished home because Clark Gable's wife left and Montgomery Cliff is a widower. So they just, like, never finished this home. So Mm -hmm. once the women are there, they start, like, bringing it alive again. They, like, plant a garden and all these things. And so... They, one of the other, like, more minor characters tells Clark Gable, like, well, we could buy these wild, or, like, capture these wild Mustangs, and this becomes sort of the central plot, Mm -hmm. is we're going to get these Mustangs, and we'll be able to sell them, and make a lot of money, essentially. And so it then becomes this whole thing where, initially, they think they'll be selling them to, like, 
race or like there'll be race horses or like yeah. thoroughbreds that that's what kind you, of thing that's what you get in the very beginning and then it becomes a little more <laughs> it gets a little dark. more insidious when yeah. you realize oh they'll actually be sold either to make glue or and again this is the 60s like dog food yeah um and so it creates a divide in the group and the women especially marilyn monroe's character you know her whole thing is i can never love a killer and she's really begging him essentially to Mm -hmm. like not do this so they end up capturing the horses spoilers Mm -hmm. and you know she's trying to get him to change his mind and Clark Gable's character is sort of like set in his ways she's offering to pay for them and he's like offended by that and the other the uh, Montgomery Clift character he like keeps going and finally Clark Gable gives in I know this is such a like roaming description but this really is how the movie is where it's just like constant debating over these horses essentially so it kind of does jump around a lot and eventually even though Clark Gable has agreed and Marilyn Monroe has convinced him there's like this rift between them and Montgomery Cliff's character isn't on board and so Clark Gable releases the horses Mm -hmm. and Montgomery Cliff's character goes and captures one like the the stallion essentially by himself and it's like this super iconic scene he's like wrestling this horse to the ground with this like rope tire and like Mm -hmm. Marilyn Monroe is like crying and he like catches it and it's like kind of this violent scene we were just talking yeah it's like oh man did like that horse is that horse okay so it's like I know because it's so (laughs) is Clark Gable okay because he was doing his stunts which I'm gonna talk about like it's so crazy but he's like wrestling and, and like finally he like gets it and it's like subdued and she's like crying and then he like lets it go mm-hmm. and he like turns around it's like this epic scene he's like well I don't want anyone making my choice for me like I decided this for myself and it's like this final stand of this like aging cowboy kind of yeah and they end up like being reconciled and like you know it all ends like pretty happily they like drive off into the sunset together like yeah but having experienced this like deep rift over like mm-hmm. a difference of ideals. He had a breakthrough. He did. He let go of that Mustang. It's like, you got to let shit go. You've got to let it go. go. <laughs> so, and again, it is like a very long paced movie, in my opinion. Yeah. But it's like lauded as this seminal classic now mm-hmm. because they were using like what we would consider better acting techniques that like hold up to modern scrutiny and so that's the thing many times if you're watching like older classic films you kind of get that transatlantic like oh and it's very stylized yes these beautiful stories but not super believable necessarily Mm -hmm. and they're like crying on the duvet and you know it's all (laughs) of this case and this was one of the first movies that like really bucked against that trend it did and because of that it is now on many like top 100 films of all time like top it is like important films of history and like all of these things i love marilyn monroe's acting and both of in them in this film i really did yeah. and i know she had a lot of trouble trying to really focus on it but yes when you hear her in certain scenes mm-hmm. you could really like you said method you could really mm-hmm. hear her pain and, and that's the thing they both yeah. went on record during like the press tour like at the time like press would come and they would like do interviews in between takes Uh which is crazy to me um that would never happen now i feel like (laughs) but okay um and they both clark gable and marilyn monroe 
both said this is the best work we've ever done. Like, and it is. I, I mean, oh, it's 100%. I think Clark Gable even said, like, I'm proud of two things in my life, mm-hmm. and it's this film and Gone with the Wind. Of course. Which is insane. Like, if you I think about all, yeah. the historical context of Gone with the Wind and, like, again, what it did for the film industry. Yeah. And, like, what it did for, like, equality and all of these things that, like, historically it meant mm-hmm. for him to, like, associate this film with that is, like, it shows how Very seriously monumental. they took it. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I noticed about the film, which really intrigued me, like, after, like, watching it from beginning to till end, mm-hmm. I had to break in the middle, of course. You really it was, like, do. I was like, oh, I need my social media right I- now. Sorry. <laughs> but, um, I mean, it, it was a powerful powerful message it was a a message Mm -hmm. about people trying to connect with Mm -hmm. one another but then again they're afraid to connect Mm -hmm. and i feel like that is so that echoes like today like Mm -hmm. we all want to connect with one another but we are still afraid totally you know we have a great connection with our social media with our phones but to have that human connection that's something we're still afraid well we're more and less connected than any other generation in the history of mankind and, and it's so crazy it, yeah and that's another podcast right there uh, that really is <laughs> speaking of yes um and that's so crazy because you know you're talking about like connection and but this film was so fraught with yes, difficulty so raw it really was i mean you know we get the benefit of seeing like the end product 50 plus years in the future mm-hmm. at the time like i said it was not well received it had such a delayed shooting schedule and like all of these like problems during the oh, filming. Oh yeah, that just crazy. Is a segue, right? Segue. There. We're segue away. See how smooth it is. Ooh. I know, wow, <laughs> just like butter. <laughs> mm. You cut out dairy. I can't say. I that. know. Ugh, it's so sad. <laughs> Dark chocolate. Sure. Great. Okay. <laughs> Weeps weeping into the microphone. I had to make. I was making uh, Bryce coffee. <laughs> right when he came in before we um, recorded and I was asking him do you want a latte mm, I, I cut up dairy mm. I know I'm so LA now <laughs> I can't do dairy I know I want my coffee black yeah like <laughs> do you know yep <laughs> living the dream all right guys so we're gonna go into this onset drama so much get your teacups out because we're gonna <laughs> spill some tea so you have this crazy film mm-hmm. crazy schedule you have one of the best directors shooting this film, mm-hmm. one of America's top playwrights yep. writing this film, who is, by the way, married to the main starlet, Marilyn Monroe. And then again, you also have three very, very well-known mm-hmm. performers, Monroe, Clift and Gable, who are the leads. And they are already coming in mm-hmm. with a shit ton of baggage. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing. On paper, like mm-hmm. I said earlier, it's just like, this should have been a blockbuster knockout. Like, there's no reason yes. on paper why this film shouldn't have done well. Mm-hmm. Because it's, like, huge star power, huge writing power, huge directing power, mm-hmm. a good story. Like, all those things. And then just, like, <laughs> like just fizzled out because there's just so much chaos swirling yeah. every day. Mm-hmm. What do we see this with in comparison with movies today like the titanic you think mm, no because i don't know yeah like, the acting in the titanic was horrific i'm ooh, <laughs> controversial some of it was like really yeah. oh, are you drowning <laughs> um yeah i mean that's the thing too is i wonder like how much of this 
gets covered up Mm -hmm. so that like what we eventually hear is still like not as bad as it actually was Mm -hmm. because like as I was going through this so much of it was like well that seems pretty tame like I bet you this is not to like re-quote Titanic but I bet you this is the tip of the iceberg like I know I couldn't (laughs) but um bum so bad but you know what I mean so like the first thing like the sort of uncontrollable one is that as you were saying, shooting in Nevada in the summer. Yes. 108 degree heat every day. Yes. Like. It's insane. <laughs> who in, thought that was a good idea? I know. They're like, let's go to uh, shoot this film in Nevada mm-hmm. in July. Perfect. Perfect. It's amazing. Dude, you're s- smart right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's do that. Perfect. I love it. Yeah. It was the, the, the whole weather shit was insane. Like the terrain that they were mm-hmm. shooting in was also very dangerous as well because mm-hmm. um they shot in five different locations Oof. in nevada that's not like a nightmare i know and they shot another part of the film in los angeles okay it was okay but nevada was a little torrential because mm-hmm. of the weather just the terrain and just you know just all these elements of nature were just kind of right. against them well and it's so funny too because like especially when i was in school there was like this sort of mythos around like being on set quote unquote mm-hmm. and you it you kind of don't realize until you're actually on set especially your first time yeah but there is like this sort of other presence of the quote set mm-hmm. that is like a full character at play you know what i mean yes. and like the energy on set can affect you so oh, like you know yeah. I it's could a totally, oh I vouch for that 100 and you know we've all been in those situations where it's like something's not vibing and i can't really figure it out yeah. and then like you get back home and you're like man that was just a bad set and you like have this like weird realization so it is kind of silly like i yeah i'm sure there are people like really like this film didn't do well because of the weather but low-key like that matters that did matter it does trust me it does and it it was affecting you were saying earlier like it was affecting the health of the horses it was affecting the health of the actors it was affecting the health of the crew oh yeah and people were you know pretty much suffering from dehydration Mm -hmm. um they were getting sick you had um also a couple of these stars that were dealing with other shit too and oh, they couldn't they were not grounded it's just that a lot of the people that worked on this film were not grounded so yeah. the first one that we can touch on yes is marilyn monroe let's just get the this big is, one out of the yeah, way let's get the big fish out of the way <laughs> so to open uh, marilyn monroe is already married to author Mar- miller mm-hmm. and the marriage is already on the cusp of deteriorating right so in the very beginning marilyn was terrified at the thought of working with clark gable mm-hmm. so as a child growing up in foster homes with her single mother she slept with a picture of gable under her pillow every night and fantasized that he was her, he was her father mm-hmm. it was really sad and then the night before their first scene together she couldn't sleep and so she goes to her you know her little nightstand drawer and pulls out her nebudol because mm-hmm. she was already, you know, addicted to the stuff. Yeah. Her sleeping pills. She took a large dose of it. And as a result of that, she, you know, was already two hours late to mm-hmm. set on the first day. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, the sort of storm of chaos around her entire adult life. Yes. I think is really crystallized in this experience because it's all of these things. Her marriage honestly because of this film so her and arthur miller had a lot of conflict because apparently he was like 
constantly rewriting the script and she like disagreed with the way he was portraying her character Mm -hmm. and upset with the short amount of time he would like rewrite entire scenes the night before oh yeah and she was such a head case there's like this beautiful documentary talking about her time working with lee strasberg Mm -hmm. in new york and she like is a very serious actor she like takes the craft very seriously yes which i think is something that we kind of forget because you see this like persona of like the bombshell Mm -hmm. But, like, she genuinely cared about her performances, which is so crazy. And so for that, like, neurotic energy to be, like, thrown off by, like, constant rewrites that she didn't agree with, it completely derailed her. To the point that, like you were saying, she's not showing up on time. She's, like, notoriously missing her lines during the takes. Mm -hmm. And then their marriage is crumbling during the shoot she just didn't know how to pretty much handle everything and Mm -hmm. it wasn't because she was uh she was doing this on purpose it Mm -hmm. was because she was it was fear it was fear and you know just how her character was going to be Mm -hmm. portrayed in this film and fear of working with gable oh my god he's not going to take me seriously and you know how to work with her husband Mm -hmm. um as shooting progressed Monroe became increasingly, increasingly dependent upon her Nebutal. Mm-hmm. So she had prescriptions flown in every other day by her Los Angeles doctors and received additional medication from local doctors. Oh. She was taking three times the normal dosage of her sleeping aid, Nebutal, and the pills left her disoriented, unsteady on her feet. And at times incoherent. Mm-hmm. They also led to wild mood swings and rashes. A lot of these mood swings were recorded by people on set because she lashed out on I author. Oh. Author was, you know, a lot of people said, no, he, tr- he treated her like shit. It was actually the other way around sure. on set because there were times where she would yell at him. They would argue in front of everyone on yeah, set. Yeah, it was very public. And he was just like trying to keep his cool with her. So her marriage to Arthur Miller was already like deteriorating in mm-hmm. front of everyone. Many witnessed, you know, her lash outs on Miller, even pushing him away physically at times. And he just had enough and ended up having an affair with a designer on the set. Oh my God. Yeah. So I'm sure that'll make it better. Oh yeah. It like, <laughs> makes everything better. And of course, like Monroe found out. Of course. And it just didn't help anything. Right. And then also like, Here's the thing. If you're like the problem child in a room full of problem children, as we'll talk about the other members of this like production company and <laughs> cast and all of it, like she really was like deteriorating so quickly in front of people's eyes. And mm-hmm. like even to the point that later people were saying like we could see her and we knew that she couldn't be helped. Like we knew that she was so far gone at this point yes. that like anything we were doing to try and help her was not going to intervene to the point that they actually hospitalize her for two weeks to detox her because she's yes. so bad. So right there, that's the first delay. Like we're going to start splicing in all the delays that this production went through mm-hmm. because it's, obscene like it it blows my mind how long it took to film this movie Mm -hmm. and this is one of the first reasons is because the star has to be hospitalized for two weeks yeah already right there a delay so sad no wonder this film cost 4.1 million dollars because in 1960s money that is insane it is crazy and i mean working on professional film sets Mm -hmm. i've worked on many 
and time is money mm-hmm. they it's it's so true time is money if they lose 30 minutes it's a lot of money yeah and there have been times on set um because i primarily work on horror sets right and it's it's even more difficult when you work on a horror set because you're dealing with blood you're dealing with makeup you're dealing with having to do a retake well do we have an extra costume yep. we need a group of makeup people to come in and clean the blood on the floor yep. off this actor it's insane and there are times where we do go way over oh my God, to yeah. the point where we have to have a second dinner and it i mean at times it can result in the production getting fined mm-hmm. yeah it's i've been in that position too and we've had i think in one set we had a problem with an actress who was just just constantly late constantly late Mm-mm. it caused us to shift like the the um the schedule of our shoot oh my god so you know there are days where we had to shoot out of sequence oh god which was fucked up yeah <laughs> okay guys we had the you know the 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 set set up for this scene but because she's an hour and a half late we're gonna have to move over to this scene in this other house oh, god. so it was a bitch to move all that equipment to the next place yeah. it was horrendous and it did cost us a lot of time and money right so i can understand like Any why young baby fledgling actors listening to this podcast do not do that do not do that you, <laughs> you are not hired. you are not marilyn monroe <laughs> they will not wait for you they will fire you on the spot they will. Like, no, no 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 yeah no, no. they they don't they're not about that i know that they stop working with that actress oh, afterwards 100 percent. yeah there, there's no way <laughs> so that's the thing is that right why did all these people put up with like her seeming mm-hmm difficulty it's because they were in that boat right there with her yeah let's just jump right into beautiful john houston <sighs> so the director is also ha- struggling with alcoholism another one struggling with drug addiction another one <laughs> and he adds the little trifecta he has a serious and very public gambling problem yes which is so ridiculous which to me is this is his dream cast because Clark Gable mm-hmm. is also a big gambler. It's He's ridiculous. Like- <laughs> and he would like come back. And un- so here we go. Second reason. He is having the production cover his gambling debts, which is so I would. If Can you imagine the poor God. PA on this project? They must have <laughs> wanted to kill themselves. Just like lay down in the desert. Let the eagles take me. Like let I can't do this. Let the vultures take me. They I need, can't. They literally need receipts. Well, where's well? Where did one point three million dollars yep, go? He uh, would. He would come back and like brag water? about. Yeah. It went to water for what? Yeah, blink, blink. <laughs> but he would brag about how much money he had lost gambling. Yes. Which is so they had to go back to the studio and ask for more money. Imagine him sending his. And like his PA to ask for that. that poor, hey, oh. um, can you just go and like low key ask for another one point five million dollars? Uh-huh. Come on. Uh huh. <laughs> uh-huh. And it got to the point. And so here's like the thing that I find so ironic is that John Houston is the one who said he knew she couldn't be saved. So this very drunk, very pill dependent, gambling addicted man is seeing the decay of Marilyn Monroe. I just find that so crazy that like yes. that this entire cast is in the same boat and yeah. like you recognize the demons of yourself in other people. Exactly. Exactly. There are even points where he would pass out mm-hmm. during scenes like he'll say action and yep. they'll go into the scene and there is this one account of um there was this big scene between Gable and Clift and 
Houston passes out in the middle of the scene. Many reshoots because of his drunkenness. Like, <laughs> it's crazy to me. We need to hire another PA to wake up Houston. Oh, my God. I would die. Who 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 volunteers as tribute? <laughs> Don't you just get a cattle prod at that point? Like, no. Crickets. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> so crazy <laughs> so again that's more delays yeah. more budget like constant reshoots plus the rewrites with arthur miller like mm-hmm. it's just this ball of delay now at this point they're oh, so yeah. over budget they're so behind on shooting schedule oh yeah so now at this point it's like through the entire summer they're like in the august of nevada no thank you just, no thank you. you no 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 bueno no 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 so another one was also Oh, I love him too. Montgomery Cliff. Oh, I know. He was also, um, aside from the elements of like weather mm-hmm. and the terrain and the director and Monroe, Montgomery Cliff was also battling drug and alcohol abuse during production, mm-hmm. often causing Gable to lose his patience yes. and his temper. Um, Cliff was also dealing with uh, Houston calling him out for being in the closet. And there were some points where Houston would call him out on set. And it's, it, I mean, they worked on another film together Mm -hmm. called Freud, which was a huge breakout hit for Cliff because he did an amazing job. Right. But it was then where, you know, there are already these like kind of like little rumors going around that he might be stuck in the closet. And that was something that Cliff was battling. It was the fact that he was closeted. Well, especially in the sixties, that is a career killer. Yes. And the reason why he was often addicted to drugs and alcohol is because he had that nasty car accident mm-hmm. back in the 50s that left him partially deformed. Mm-hmm. It knocked out all of his teeth. It broke um, a sinus bridge. It, I mean, it left him horrifically mm-hmm. in pain. He had to get several surgeries. Um, the accident was so bad that um, his then-girlfriend, uh Elizabeth Taylor rushed to his side oh. and he couldn't breathe because he was choking on his own teeth. Oh she had God. to open his mouth and grab physically grab teeth out of his throat so he could breathe. Well, who hasn't been there? Come I on. I know. I mean. That's insane. It's Hollywood. It's Hollywood. <laughs> That's love. <laughs> so um, he was still dealing with pain from that. Mm-hmm. And um, right after that accident, he was still kind of getting... Mm-hmm. He was having problems trying to get casted again, yeah. trying to get better. But and, yeah, sorry, keep going. Oh no, but he was, you know, still in luck because I mean, he was amazing as an actor. Well, and that's the thing is that so much of so um, Marilyn Monroe was the first person to be casted, obviously because Arthur Miller, like low key, wrote this yeah. to showcase her, mm-hmm. and then as it d- deteriorated, it kind of became something different. Mm-hmm. But she was the first person casted and like requested Montgomery Clift and said like he's perfect for this role like I want him and then later went on rec- not on record but was like allegedly said like I've never witnessed someone who was like worse off than I was. Yes. So again, all in the same boat, she like brought him onto this project and then it's like, oh, like maybe I shouldn't have oh, done that. I don't know, but yeah. Houston wanted him because he uh, worked well with Monroe, too. Right. He was, in some way, he was like the Monroe whisperer. Yes. Like, he got through to her at times. And one of the things, going back to the method, which I know is such, like, boring actor jargon, so just bear <laughs> with me. Method. Um, but, so, Clark Gable is actually the only actor of, A, the three, and B, the, like, top. 10 build who's not using the method he said that it was like a foreign religion to him yeah um but 
the rest of them really invested in that. And again, uh, with Montgomery Clift and Marilyn Monroe, he was so integral to keeping her kind of grounded and calm because she was such a basket case during this entire filming. Mm -hmm. And I think his presence specifically, a couple other people too, but like his presence specifically. And because of that, he like garnered this weird respect from Clark Gable where they weren't like friends and they kind of like were snippy with each other. Yeah. But they respected each other's work so much that like even though Clark Gable like kind of publicly would like talk not great about him he would be on set when he didn't have to be to watch montgomery cliff because he respected his talent so much yes which is like kind of sweet kind of twisted i guess like you're not nice to each other but he was like this fatherly figure to him in a way you know kind of almost like a spengali yeah i want to see you do well but i want you to fucking focus right because he would lose his cool on him at times there are times where he would make cliff burst into tears yes because he was just well i mean due to the fact that he was doing stunts he was stressed out he was often dehydrated yes like it affected him and it like his temper was just like on a short fuse right there yes on a very very short fuse so and that was another thing about gable is that he insisted on doing many of his stunts and a lot of these stunts were very very strenuous to the point where they told him look we need to bring in jack and young to stand Mm -hmm. in for you in in certain points Mm -hmm. just so you can rest bro just so you can rest he really fought them on it he really fought he was like no and i think it's because you know he was already nearing the age of 60 he insisted on doing many of his stunts he was you know a man's man he's like no i'm gonna do Mm -hmm. this myself he was he was a bit ornery in that aspect and i think he felt like he had to prove something too yes so many people were telling him like this isn't a good part for you you're not really right the type of person that's gonna take no No, for an answer he's like do you know who i am Mm -hmm. um yeah i'm gonna do the these stunts and you're holding on to some sort of legacy right there as an actor like totally. i don't want to be casted in these roles where i'm just like the old man mm-hmm. i want to be this very strong you know man's man in this film i'm a cowboy this is what i'm gonna do i need to you know show my strength right and he just couldn't allow that you know he couldn't allow someone to stand in like a younger guy to stand in yeah. for him no, absolutely not. So Gable insisted on doing much of his stunts, including the fall off of a car on the pavement outside of the bar. There's a scene where he falls off a car. That's crazy. And, you know, he almost injures himself, sprinting 100 yards after the truck in in the desert and mm-hmm. most notoriously being dragged across the dry desert lake bed at more than 30 miles per hour. So there's a scene where he's being dragged by one of the Mustangs in the desert Oof. and he is being dragged at 30 miles per hour. That's, That's all insane. him. That is him in the sweltering heat with this ginormous and powerful animal. Um, what else? Some critics believe that this physical exertion might have contributed to his heart attack and death, which was just days after filming ended. So if you've ever seen the movie towards the end, um, it was a ginormous scene of them mm-hmm. like you said earlier they're wrestling with these horses yeah he's you know being dragged being like whipped around like a rag doll yeah and they feel like this was the scene that led up to his heart attack well and he is like quoted as saying like i'm glad this film is over it yeah. nearly gave me a heart, heart attack, attack. oh i know you just jinxed yourself. you did it <laughs> yeah and so like a, i think he had 
it was like two days later he has a heart attack and then 10 days later he's dead yeah so like 12 days after they wrap this like very demanding shoe he's done which, which leads so... us to another you want to say it no what segway oh segway <laughs> i thought you were gonna say sex scene and i was like i is I it <laughs> i don't know where my mind which went. one were you watching <laughs> I, oh is this not the triple x version the misfits oh okay uh podcast canceled <laughs> Um, no, that's hilarious. Another segue, yes. God, we're not finishing each other's sandwiches. Sandwiches, yes. Which we were so in sync this morning. I know. It faded with my coffee. I know. Um, You're losing your ESPN, bro. I really did it. Um, so one really quick thing I want to talk about, and then let's talk about the The, the aftermath because it's so crazy. Yeah. But the one of the reasons that this film was like a, a little bit of like a lightning bolt idea when you were like, well, what could we do? Yeah. Was because of the scene between Clark Gable and Marilyn Monroe. And that's like the scene that like stuck with me Ooh. and like kind of what like jarred me because like, oh, right. Well, it's like their final, it's like the, one of the last scenes of the film. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the first scenes that shot continuously. It's the oh. longest scene in John Huston's cinema like cinematography if you will like Mm -hmm. history it's this six minute long scene low-key everybody thinks that the two of them who are like notoriously bad at learning their lines (laughs) will not be able to do it and it's like the zenith of the movie Mm -hmm. because they like crush it and so it's this like beautiful kind of swan song for both of them in that like they, you know, they did the, all the things. Like, no non-essential people on set. No one can be in Marilyn's eyeline. They, like, mm-hmm. really were both so concerned about it that it ended up, like, making this, like, amazing performance because they just did that very basic thing of, like, listening and putting the energy and focus on your partner. Yeah. And so because of, like, all the craziness, like, right, that's the thing is that this movie is plagued by the lows, but then there's these, like, really historical highs at the same time and Mm -hmm. i think all of that energy and like the schism between the highs and the lows really in the segue as we do (laughs) is like one of the contributing factors is like that just constant up and down is gonna wear on you no matter what Mm -hmm. i mean i just can't imagine the elation they must have felt i think i was reading that they got it in like six takes which is nothing that is nothing and like two of them were like perfect takes like that's crazy especially for people who are like completely unreliable Mm -hmm. and so you like end and it's this like complete high like even with all the things that have gone wrong like we ended it on a high note yeah and then clark gable dies i know and then it just sort of starts this domino of like this movie popping up in the cast and crew's life personally and professionally and like now all of the like after effects of this film yeah crazy it is it is and you're right because um you know when you're acting and you know this too there's a lot of things that you have to dig deep inside of Mm -hmm. you and when you're taking take after take after take it's like i have to go through this again i gotta dig deeper yeah yeah it emotionally drains you and um i mean i've seen it too on set i remember oh my god I, i we were doing I think this was a this was a grad movie. This is mm-hmm. when I was in grad school, but we were doing this horror film and there's a scene where this girl gets raped mm. and it was a very it was a closed set, but um I just remembered like 
the producer telling us, hey, give them their space. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a really, really, really intense scene. And we had to do several takes of it. Of course. Um, I had to go in, check costume, do last looks. You know, makeup girl had to, like, wipe the girl's tears. She had to, like, repowder her. Like, they had to do it all over again, retake after retake. And it was really intense. Mm -hmm. There was a point where, like, when they finally got the scene, the girl had to, like, be alone in her her little trailer. Like, she's like, I just need to just, you know decompress decompress and peace out for a bit and they're like yeah yeah you know we totally understand we're gonna go into this next scene with these other guys so it was like don't bother her for the next couple of hours yeah oh my god i can imagine yeah so i mean i could i mean that is very emotionally exhausting and i could tell like you know that's what they went through throughout this whole scene but they got it you know done in six weeks which is crazy Mm mm-hmm Good for them, I guess. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, they already had a great synergy together. Too. Yeah, they really did. And I think, They're again, that just goes yeah. back to, like, you were saying that fatherly energy and, like, her sort of reverence for him yeah. translates into, like, beautiful on-screen chemistry. Yeah. Which is so good. I know. Huh. And it gets sadder because we talk about the deaths. Yes. So um, if you guys have uh, are following us on Instagram, I posted, like, the picture of the movie poster. Yes. And it's eerily ironic to the sequence of their deaths. Like chronological. It's chronological Oof. order. You see Clark Gable, Marilyn Monroe, and Montgomery Cliff looking out, and they're happy. And I put, like, the dates of their death. Yeah. It's 1960, 1962, 1966. Mm-hmm. Cliff is the last one to pass. So Clark Gable dies November 16th, uh, 1960 in Los Angeles. Marilyn Monroe um, follows after two years, August 5th, 1962, in her Brentwood home. Montgomery Cliff dies July 23rd, 1966, in New York City. So we start off with Clark Gable's mm-hmm. death. So um, Clay Williams, who was Gable's last wife, said after his death that she was sure that the problems with the production of The Misfits was a strong contributor mm-hmm. to Gable's death. So on November 6, 1960, after completing the last movie, The Misfits, Clark Gable suffered chest pains and was transported to Presbyterian Hospital in L.A. where he was diagnosed as having suffered a um, coronary thrombosis. Mm. And after two days in the hospital, he received over 5,000 well wishes mm-hmm. from his fans. He appeared to be doing better and light, and he was pretty much taken off of life support. Mm. But on November 16th, he suffered another heart attack that immediately killed him. Oh my God. Like he got better and then he just had this attack and then it just knocked him out. Wow. Yeah, it was really, really sad. But a lot of people claim that, you know, after his death, he was, you know, reunited with his wife, Carolyn Lombard. Oh, right. So he was reunited with Lombard um, and that was it. But it was like it was a big shock to the Hollywood community, to his fans and especially Marilyn Monroe. And also one of the things, again, they're so intertwined in each other's lives at this point, but his publicist and his wife like low-key blame her yeah for his death and in turn she takes that on i think she's so unstable at this point already yeah that she isn't able to receive criticism Mm -hmm. and not internalize it and so you have these two very vocal people full-on blaming her and here's the thing excuse me he had drank all of his life and had, like, just recently become sober, like, mm-hmm. within the year. He right. was a heavy, heavy smoker, as everybody was. It's the 60s. Yeah. He had had 
chest pains the entire year leading up to this that most likely were mini heart attacks that's undiagnosed but just realistically that's probably what they were yeah he was 59 in the film he's portraying a 40 year old (laughs) he's insisting on doing his own very physical stunts Mm -hmm. and he has you know all the same issues that basically every celebrity during this time period has with the alcohol and the pills and all of these things. He's in his fifth marriage, like all of these other outside stressors. And yeah, at the time during your grieving process, it's really easy to blame the last film he was in. That was clearly such a chaotic mess. And the co-star who made it many times more chaotic because of her own issues. Yeah. But again, you never know the ripples that your words will have and how far those will reach. And she internalizes those things and does very much blame herself for his death. Yeah, she takes it personally. And thus begins her own spiral into more pills. You know, she had been detoxed um, and, like, came back and finished the film. Mm -hmm. And it's really one, like, tiny little thing that we didn't mention. is like, really interesting. You can tell when she's back from the hospitalization in the film because all of her close-ups after that point are in such soft focus yes i noticed that yes. i noticed like even like the bags under her eyes yes. are gone because they because like she kind of looked rough yeah i mean still stunning no like, there's some pictures of her where you're like Ooh, but they sleep. did and so they like really well. like did the best they could with like soft editing and all yeah focus and all of that but you know her accepting the blame for his death re-spiralizes her into the pills and her marriage is ended and the alcohol and the sleep dependency and from there it just goes downhill so quickly Mm -hmm. yeah especially for yeah for what like leads up to the final hours of her life Mm. because in 62 she you know finalizes finalizes the divorce Mm -hmm. with miller so marilyn monroe on uh, August 5th of 1962, was found dead in her bedroom of her Brentwood home by her psychiatrist, Ralph Greenson, after he was called by Monroe's housekeeper, Eunice Murray. And she was only 36 years old at the time of her death. Her death was ruled to be acute barbiturate poisoning by Dr. Thomas Nagoshi of Los Angeles County's coroner's office mm. and was listed as probable suicide. Many detectives, including Jack Clemens, the first Los Angeles Police Department officer to arrive at the death scene, believed that she was murdered, wow. that this was a setup. No murder charges were ever filed. The death of Marilyn Monroe since has become one of the events spawning the most conspiracy theories of all time and um that's a separate episode yes, right there it really is because her she whole was, life her whole life but you know they believe that it was a conspiracy that it was because she had uh you know slept with the kennedy brothers mm-hmm. so <laughs> who hasn't i know <laughs> and they i mean it's an on it's still like an open case for mm-hmm. some people yeah totally yeah but a lot of people believe that it was conspiracy her death was just a setup oh that makes me so sad it does but i mean who knows she was battling a lot of demons too like her marriage to miller just fizzled like she was being blamed for gable's death by Mm -hmm. several individuals and she was just already at her breaking point at this time yeah Mm -hmm. 
And then we have Montgomery Cliffs Death. Mm. So on July 22nd, which is very eerie, that's my birthday, Ooh. 1966, Cliff spent most of his hot summer day in his bedroom in his New York City townhouse located at 217 East 61st Street. He and his live-in personal secretary, Lorenzo James, had not spoken much of all of that day. So shortly before 1 a.m., James went up to say goodnight to Cliff, who was still awake and sitting in his bed. Um, James asked Cliff if he needed anything, and Cliff politely refused and then told James that he would stay up, you know, for another hour or two mm-hmm. longer to read a book or, or watch television. So James then noted that the Misfits star was, um, no, the movie The Misfits was on television mm-hmm. that night airing as a late night movie, and he asked Cliff if he wanted to watch oh. it with him. And Cliff is like, absolutely not. I'm so mm-hmm. fucking done with this film. Um, this was the last time Montgomery Clift spoke to anyone. So at 6.30 a.m. the next day, Clift was found dead. Hmm. Death was ruled as a heart attack and no foul play was suspected. That is so creepy yeah. and crazy that yes. that film was on, that it was a heart attack, that it was like, ugh. Here's my thing. They both had um, Clift. Uh, was it Clift? Clift and... I think it was a Houston too. Houston died eventually like 30 years later of a heart attack mm-hmm. too, but they all had alcohol and drug yeah. problems, 100%. you know, and stress. They were under a tremendous amount of stress. Clift and Gable were under heaps of stress because of this movie right? and because of other things that were also plaguing their lives. But I feel that Monroe, when she killed her, well, supposedly if she did kill herself, that she would eventually die of a heart attack herself because she was addicted to alcohol sure. and she was also addicted to pills. Yeah. So Your body just can't take that strain for mm-hmm. decades and yeah. then just be fine. Mm-hmm. Their bodies were under a lot of strain. That's a good way, way of pointing it out. Yeah. Clift and Gable put their bodies through a tremendous amount of strain, a tremendous amount of medication, alcohol. Cause also Gable is a drinker too. He didn't mm-hmm. seem like and smoker. He didn't seem like he was taking good care of himself no. at all. So that could lead up to, you know, major health problems. Yeah, and did. I mm-hmm. mean, that's obviously oh, it's so sad. It is. It's really sad. And I believe that he was 46 when he passed. Wow. He was in his mid-40s. Like, so he still young. didn't lead much of his life. Like, he had aspirations to write oh. and to act more. And he, you know wasn't able to finish that which is really really terrible i know so now we go into the juicier part especially (laughs) well i mean right there you just said it like that sounds like a lot of unfinished business Business. to me exactly hmm, Hmm. wonder what that could lead to let me push up my invisible glasses (laughs) my ghost specs my ghost specs so guys for all you paranerds out there we talk about the paranormal aftermath i feel like everyone just breathed like a collective sigh finally (laughs) thank you get to it already Sorry, we like talking. <laughs> All right, so the paranormal aftermath. What's so crazy is that Gable, Monroe, and Cliff haunt the same hotel. Oh. They are all there in their afterlife. It's like they had its little reunion at the Hotel Roosevelt. So, of course, with these famous stars, especially Marilyn Monroe being an L.A. girl, they're still going to linger around. Yep. Yeah. So the Roosevelt Hotel is where all of the creme de la creme 
of Hollywood reside or would visit, you know, during the 40s and Mm -hmm. 30s and 50s and 60s. But they are still revisiting or, you know, never left their stay, you know, Mm -hmm. at this hotel. So it's freaking crazy how this hotel price is like 15 minutes away from our work. Oh, I know. I walk by (laughs) it all the time. And it's one of the most haunted hotels in Hollywood. Actually, in Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. as a matter of fact. Totally. It's really, really crazy. Um, It's situated right on Hollywood Boulevard alongside the famous Walk of Fame and opposite of the Chinese Theater. So we start with our first apparition, Mm -hmm. Montgomery Cliff. So Montgomery Clift haunts this hotel in particular. So he haunts room 928. And I'm the, booking our stay right now. I know. <laughs> I know. Go on Travelocity. Do it. <laughs> I love it. Whilst he was making the film From Here to Eternity, he was um, known to stay in this room. You know, he needed his privacy to learn mm-hmm. his lines. So when Montgomery lived here for a duration, he was making that film and he liked to chill out with his trumpet. His trumpet is still heard playing to this day oh. by the staff and many guests. No. So people will complain, hey, there's some rando playing his trumpet on the ninth floor. No. Yeah, it's insane. One guest who stayed in his room reported that when he was reading her, she was reading her book at night, she felt a tapping on her shoulder. Thinking it was her husband, she turned around to find him facing the other way, fast asleep. So people are being touched in this room. They feel a presence. His ghost is also seen pacing up and down the hall on the ninth floor as he was seen um, before when he was alive going over his lines. Sure. So his energy and his ghost is definitely felt and seen on the ninth floor and in room number 928. I know. Isn't that insane? For some reason, the music really creeps me out. But here where it gets a little creepy. Oh, great. And I posted this on our Instagram, Mm -hmm. too. And I'll put this link um, on our description page and iTunes and our uh, Blueberry.com webpage. In 2016, I remember driving to work listening to this because I love KCRW. Yes. KCRW released a story about an actor and writer, Craig Chester, who Mm -hmm. claimed to be followed by the ghost of Montgomery Clift. You have to listen to this episode, guys. It is insane. It brought me to tears. It's It's so good. According to KCRW, a friend suggested Craig should visit a psychic. So Craig didn't believe in any of this paranormal stuff. And he figured, oh, well, it shouldn't hurt to go visit Mm -hmm. a psychic. Then the psychic introduces him to someone who had been following Craig all of his life, Montgomery Clift, and the actor heartthrob from the 50s and 60s. So he goes to visit the psychic, and the psychic is like, dude, you have this this hombre following you. You have this famous actor. And he is telling me that he he wants to he wants to tell me that this is him like he's he's been behind you know by your side this whole time, so at first Craig didn't believe it, but the coincidences piled up and eventually he couldn't deny it. So he realized that Cliff had been gay throughout you know his whole career mm-hmm. in Hollywood. He's been closeted throughout his whole career, um, and he started to listen to the advice of this psychic. So he starts to develop this relationship with the psychic because the psychic would always call him every single day to deliver messages to Craig from Clift because Cliff couldn't like fully communicate sure. to him. He wasn't too open, but he was able to communicate to Craig through the psychic. So the psychic tells him 
he has this message he's been trying to deliver to you for the longest he wants you to write a film he wants you to write a biopic of his life he writes the biopic he writes the film and it's pretty much this film that you know depicts his life and how he struggled with being gay in hollywood Mm -hmm. and of course craig is also a very well-known you know star in the k in the gay community Mm -hmm. he was a star in swoon and he wrote the famous um indie movie adam and steve oh wow so he writes this film and he felt that he throughout the whole writing process like he felt that clift was with him navigating him throughout this whole process and after the film is done cliff leaves he leaves him and craig you know has a moment where he he goes you know through this slightly depressed time because like i never felt alone in my life after he left wow yeah He's like, I felt so alone after. He's like, he felt it too. He felt like, like the air is a little lighter. Like no one was with him. Yeah. But he was so thankful to write this story. To do this movie about Clift. Wow. It's an intense story. How he, you know, goes on and on about it. But guys, I highly recommend that you listen to it. I'll put the link in. I mean, there's one point where I was like trying to dry my tears going into work. I'm like, oh my God. I love it. Oh my God. So um, then we go into like um, the ghost of Marilyn Monroe haunting mm. the Roosevelt. So Marilyn Monroe has been reported on many occasions by staff and guests mm-hmm. at the Roosevelt Hotel. It's reported that her ghostly reflection is seen looking back at you from a full length mirror that hangs in the hotel's lobby. And this mirror once hanged in suite 1200, the very suite that Marilyn Monroe once occupied her apparition has also been reported to be seen dancing in the blossom ballroom of that hotel wow yes so she haunts room number 1200 as well people have seen you know weird uh lights orbs they feel like they've seen the face of a woman in that room people have seen her like a a female face and figure in the mirror and i've seen that mirror in that hotel is a little creepy yeah me too (laughs) It's a little. The many little times creepy. I've snuck into the Roosevelt. I know. Okay. <laughs> I used to do uh, yoga there because oh, wow. Core Power would have right. like yoga and mimosas, and that place is like all done up, mm-hmm. and it's really beautiful. Oh yeah, it's, it's so like a nice. different world in there. I, really I agree, is. but you do feel in certain like uh, in certain parts of the hotel, like it is a time warp. Mm-hmm. It is like you're transported into the 40s, and they've I think cultivated that. Yeah, but the air is like thicker in it, a way you know I, what i mean i agree there's like some points or some hallways in that hotel where it's a little creepy it's yeah. a little dark yeah oh i would never stay there i'm poor but also i would never <laughs> stay there like no absolutely not i know it's expensive it's like i mm-hmm. was looking um at the the rates of the rooms mm-hmm. there it was like between 250 to no. 329 a night no no thank you no, no there's a holiday and down the street you'll I be know. fine i'll be fine and you won't be haunted <laughs> well who i don't know who knows who knows? Yeah, well, that's true. Honestly, <laughs> in Hollywood, it's like who knows? Every block is haunted by something. <laughs> it's ridiculous. We are not safe. <laughs> so, um, so people also claim that Clark Gable and his wife, his first wife, Carol Lombard, mm-hmm. still reside in the hotel. So when Clark Gable um, and Carol Lombard were like alive, they would, you know, go and party in the ballroom. Mm-hmm. They would waltz around the ballroom. So people have claimed, or guests and staff have claimed that they see them um, waltzing around the 12th floor of the Roosevelt, and they are mainly seen and felt 
and another area too, which is also the ballroom. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's insane. So other places where Clark Gable mm-hmm. and his first wife, Carol Lombard, haunt is the Oatman Hotel in Oatman, Arizona. So it's a very, very old hotel. It was a hotel that was opened in the 1900s and became very famous for, you know, um, getaways, mm-hmm. you know, with big stars in the 40s. But ideally in the early 1900s, it was a hotel that helped, um, you know, miners, you know, get a good stay, mm-hmm. a good night's sleep, get a good meal. So Clark would go to this hotel when he needed to get away from Hollywood. So he would take um, Lombard with him and they would spend long weeks and weekends in the hotel. They also spent their honeymoon at this hotel. So um, just in a little side note too, Clark Gable was married to Carol Lombard, who was a very famous Mm -hmm. and very beautiful actress back in the 40s. Just think of like Kristen Wiig and Kirsten Bell (laughs) had a baby. It was Carol Lombard. I love it. Because Carol Lombard, she was so gorgeous. Yes. She was blonde and she was hilarious. Mm -hmm. She was like known to do comedy like on the spot. Her timing was impeccable. I love that. So Carol Lombard... um, dies in a plane accident coming back from vegas to los angeles and it hit gable really really hard Mm -hmm. so he i mean that was his first love that was his only love even his like the wives that he you know were married to after lombard like they even like on the record said that that is the woman that they couldn't wow you know compete with at all yeah because he had five marriages yeah and oh. they were like it all resulted you know it, it all resulted in him going back to lombard like wow. he just couldn't move on That's so, so crazy guests and staff would hear a man and woman whispering and or laughing from their honeymoon suite no and they would go into the suite and it would be empty and according to one report when a professional photographer took a picture of the empty room the ghostly figure of a man appeared on the developed print Another reason why it's definitely them is the fact that the room is a time warp with a lot of the furniture and decor from that time era. There's also a wedding dress displayed in the room in that hotel that claims to, like, the owner claims that it it did belong to Lombard. That that was her wedding dress. No. I'm going to post the picture on Instagram so you guys can see the room. But there's a picture of Lombard and Gable on the wall. And then, like, the bed, the, the comforter, the table like everything the decor is a major time warp and then you see like this little dress like hanging on like draped over a chair oh it's it's pretty interesting that's crazy (laughs) oh man which leads me to our final final apparition marilyn monroe so according to creepyla.com marilyn monroe's ghost has supposedly been seen in dozens of places in and around hollywood and elsewhere so the ghost of marilyn monroe is believed to haunt her old home in los angeles and i posted those pictures Mm -hmm. yesterday so crazy it is scary it is really really insane so the first place that she haunts is 2305 fifth helena drive in brentwood california this is her home shortly after midnight august 5th in 1962 of course marilyn monroe's dead body was discovered and um, there were rumors that, you know, of course, it was a murder. No, it was a suicide. Mm. But many people claim that they steal that they still see her spirit. They see her spirit roaming around the grounds. Um, there's a picture that I posted on Instagram where you see like an apparition of what looks to be her sitting um, by the pool. But, yeah. And um, also, people have seen a pink mist 
um, at times around the property. They've no. also seen a woman through the window, like walking around. And one neighbor oh. had actually gone to the house because she thought, oh, like so and so is back. Because at the time, the house was being rented to mm-hmm. a couple. The couple was out of town. The neighbor went over there just to, you know, kind of knock on the door and say hi. And no one was home, but she was, she, she swears up and down that she saw someone like walking back and forth um, through the window. That's crazy. That it looked like a woman. So, <laughs> yeah. So another place that she also haunts is the Beverly Hilton on uh, Wilshire Boulevard in Beverly Hills. So um, in creepyla.com, one person, uh, Richard Carradine, has stated, I believe the ghost of a blonde woman is spotted in the penthouse suite. And I believe it's Marilyn Monroe. So hotel guests and staff have reported seeing this lovely apparition which Carradine points out is where Marilyn Monroe and Senator Bob Kennedy are rumored to have, you know, had an affair in. Wow. Yeah. And had been seen uh, before her suicide. So, yeah, she did stay and have like a little bounce a bow wow with Bobby Kennedy. Oh, Bobby. I know. Bobby, Bobby. Such a good guy in so many ways. <laughs> and then here we are. Oh, no. And then, of course, the Westwood Memorial Park in Glen, uh, no, in, off of Glendon Avenue. So keeping Maryland's remains company at the intimate Westwood Cemetery mm-hmm. are poltergeist stars, Heather O'Rourke and Dominique Dunn, both whom died at a young age as well. And um, not surprisingly, Maryland's ghost has been spotted near her gravesite, possibly while floating from one gravestone to another. Oof. Numerous photos have been taken of her crypt, including orbs and other, you know, weird pink mists. No, the mist. I know, don't go into the mist. Oh. But whether these um, are of natural origin or perhaps indicating the presence of spirits other than Marilyn is up for speculation sure. as well. So I believe that she still haunts her home mm-hmm. and that she also haunts the Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. You know, the Roosevelt was such a big hotel, especially during the 40s, 50s and yes. 60s. So it's no wonder where, why all these stars come back and, you know, mm-hmm. claim their own haunting ground, I guess you, yeah. could, you can say. So that is the paranormal aftermath That's Cliff, crazy. Monroe, and Gable. The big three. The big three. And all three of them are hanging out in the same yeah. freaking hotel. Well, I think it's that thing, too, where, like, so many people know, obviously, about them. They're such monumental, historical stars mm-hmm. in the history of film. But also, you kind of go bringing that energy of like we you know you know this is where Marilyn Monroe is you know where this is where Clark Gable is and it's like that energy manifestation yeah just so crazy like of course they're haunting there like it's so ridiculous and other spectrals are haunting there as well (laughs) I I think we should spend the night there one night literally never (laughs) never you can contact me via Skype I'll be sitting in the church as Bryce's thoughts (laughs) yes like oh I'm covered in holy water thank Thank you. you yeah so let's Let's go on final thoughts. Yes. Like, what are your final thoughts mm-hmm. of the Misfits? Do you think that this was a casting curse? Do you think mm. that the movie was cursed? That the movie caused the death of these stars? I am aware that I sound a little bit like a broken record because I always kind of fall on like a little bit of a wishy-washy in between when mm-hmm. it comes to this. But I think it's that 
again, weird balance of the things that you can explain having ramifications that you cannot explain. Yes. And what I mean by that is the curse of the film, I think, stems from the extreme drug and alcohol problems, yes. the crumbling marriage, the Arthur Miller chaos of the rewrites. All of those are very explainable kinds of things. Like mm-hmm. those would make anybody crazy. I agree. But you don't understand, again, what your actions and your words and your choices the ripples and how far those will go and so yeah I really do think especially in the case of Clark Gable but I think then because of that first domino falling it just starts rippling and like no do I think that this movie killed them a la the exorcist you know what I mean where it's like an actual curse no I don't but I do think that the physical stress and chaos of this film had ramifications that no one was aware of and so that the stress did kill them and that the links and the seeming like coincidental ties between their deaths are linked through this film i I do think that i agree i i i really feel you on that one i don't think that the misfits was cursed no i think it was just hellishly nightmarishly unlucky yeah overly reliant people were casted or even worked on this film who were already coming apart at the seams. Mm -hmm. And the individuals that worked on this film had a lot of internal issues. They had pure shade and drama, like you said. And that's the same tune with, you know, 007, Rebel Without a Cause, Superman, and The Dark Knight. Yep. Or anything with Lindsay Lohan. Oh, God. <laughs> I, her be fully loaded. Why? I know. I, I, I mean, Lindsay Lohan, I think the thing that's cursed about her is her peach. I yeah. just think, like, <laughs> <laughs> anyone who has wandered in and out of that, the gene is cursed. Yeah. That, you want to talk about haunted. <laughs> like, her peach right Oof, there. Bless. But yeah, I mean, like, people claim that the Dark Knight was, was cursed mm. because it claimed the life of Heath Ledger and uh, Morgan Freeman was in this horrific, like, car accident, mm-hmm. you know, that he almost like lost his life and no it's just that you know Heath Ledger had a lot of internal problems and he was battling yeah. with his own demons and that perfect storm of like you bring so much baggage to a negative situation and yeah. it just compounds yeah and it's eerie that you know he was married to Michelle Williams oh I know yeah who portrayed Marilyn Monroe mm-hmm. in a movie so it's with just, Marilyn, yeah yeah it's, an, it's tiny of, little baby Eddie Redmayne. I know. He's so young in that movie. He's it's so crazy. Adorable. But then again, yeah, like you said, however, you do have these other films that involve paranormal and the occult. Yep. Like in some way, they seem to invite these supernatural entities yep. on set. So, um, hell, like they gave him their own trailer. Like we see this in The Omen, Roman, mm. uh, Rosemary's Baby, The Poltergeist, The Conjuring. That set was fucking haunted. Mm-hmm. Um, the Exorcist and the Amityville Horror. You even had, you know, recorded reports and witness accounts of unexplained things happening on these types of sets. Yeah. But nothing was happening on the set of The Misfits. Yeah, I think so. It is, the, again, it may be a little bit of splitting hairs, but I think there's a difference between being unlucky like you said that's like the perfect word for it Mm -hmm. and actually cursed and i think this film was just very Very unlucky unlucky. so there you have it our final thoughts is like that this film was just unlucky yeah but there are other films out there that we're gonna do an episode on in the future of haunted film sets yes trust me 
I've worked on so many haunted film sets, guys. I have stories you would yes. not believe because the production company I work for here, they're all solely horror based. Ugh. And every freaking location they take us, it's haunted. Oh and they know it. And no. they know it. They're like, they even said, yeah. No, <laughs> no. no I'm, I'm not kidding. Like every, every time they tell me like the location, the first question I ask, is it haunted? And they're like, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> That was too much. Can we just like you know let the cat out of the bag? Just like isn't haunted. Yeah. How what? But like how haunted? Yeah. Like, I was like on a, how on, haunted? And it, like we already have a scale. Like on a scale of one to ten, ten being most haunted. What do you think? Like seven point no, five? No. 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 Yeah. Oh my god. No. <laughs> the last film I worked on was we were on two haunted locations. We were in a haunted village in Los Angeles. A whole village? It was, it's a, okay, so it's called no. Heritage Square. Yep. And it's a village of adopted Victorian homes that the LA Conservationist Society salvaged that were, you know, ready for demolition. They're like, what the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. These homes are beautiful. Mm-hmm. So they actually had moved these homes to a specific spot by Pasadena. And they are like weird juju. Really Ugh. weird stuff would happen Ooh. on set. People would feel things, see things. I felt things. Yeah, that's another podcast. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> I just feel like the sentence though, adopted Victorian home is just asking to be haunted. Oh like, yeah. No. It was it was crazy. And like I mean, there are times where like people are like, Hey, did you did you move that or did you did you touch me? No. It was it was those things, yeah. Oh god. <laughs> No, I didn't. I'm in the taxi leaving the set. Like, no. Bye. Bye. My love came. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Yes. All right, guys. So shall we take it to a close? Let's do it. Let's do it. But before we take it to a close, we have some spiritual bays that we would definitely want to do some yes. shout outs on. First off is Christian and Damon's amazing nerd show. For nerds, by nerds, which I don't mind because I'm kind of married to a nerd. I'm a huge nerd. I'm a <laughs> So it's you great. are. You're I right. really you're, am. You're such a hot nerd. Thank you. You're so hot. I so really Christ- did it. I know. So Christian and Damon's amazing nerd show hits with topics covering all nerd culture. So cool. if you like comic books, wrestling, and films, this is the podcast for you. I do like to listen to their podcast um, because they do great movie reviews. They did a wonderful movie review on Black Panther and The Shape of Water. Uh, yes. I love tuning in um, for that portion of their episodes because I'm not, not really big into comic books. Unless it's The Walking Dead, I'm really big into that. Love it. So, KBGB Babes is our second Bays hey. of the Week. They're a horror podcast, and these gals tell tales of horror and anything else that gives you the heebie-jeebies. And they're also babes. So, they also fangirl hard on Guillermo del Toro. They're big Guillermo del Toro fans, love and it. they're also Southern gals. They're based out of Georgia. Cool. They're amazing. I love listening to them because I feel like oh, these are my people. They're yes. from the South. I'm from New Orleans. We yeah. get each <laughs> we other. Get it, yeah. And another shout out to you. I want to give a congratulations to Emily from Lights Out. Frights Out? Yes. Frights Out, Lights Out? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that up. Sorry. But Emily is expecting... Baby, I know. I, I literally was like, "What is she expecting?" Oh, right, a baby. baby. Okay, right. A Those baby, are things. Not a baby burrito. Yeah. Oh 
God, I'm expecting that every I know. day. Oh God, I want Chipotle now. Oh, God. But she, um, she and her husband are going to be expecting Aww, cute. a baby soon, and it's adorable. A little mini horror I baby. Know. I know. I just sent them a message on Twitter. I was like, we just feel that this child's going to grow up to be the next Stephen King yeah. or Mary Shelley <laughs> from All, yes. because they are always like sharing these scary stories, and they're like, hey, 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 we think it's going to be a serial killer. Yeah, it's <laughs> going to be like on its tiny little wooden rocking horse. Like, <laughs> mother, I'm ready for my bathing time now. No. no. <laughs> Baby's doing no. But congratulations to Emily, girl. That's amazing. And we wish you all the luck with that pregnancy, woman. So, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. As another little side note, don't forget to subscribe and rate us and review us on our iTunes. It really does help us a lot. It helps us indie podcasters become a little more visible. Mm -hmm. But I've seen you guys rate and review. Thank you so much for that. And um, we'll be coming back to you in two weeks because I really want to do something. Big. You want to hear it? Yes. This is live surprises. Live surprise. All right. I've been wanting to do this because I've been a fan of these guys for a very long time. I want to do the true crime and paranormal aftermath drum roll (laughs) of Tupac Shakur and Biggie Smalls. (laughs) Baby, baby. I mean, I think I'm probably a little too white to do it justice, (laughs) but I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try really hard no because matter. I'm obsessed. I am yes. half Hispanic, half Lebanese. I'm it's a Lebanese perfect. senorita, but I, I still it. love me some Tupac Shakur yes. and Biggie Small. I love me my West Coast and East Coast rap. It's so juicy and delicious. I can't wait for the TV special. Mm-hmm. I love the documentary. I'm obsessed with the entire story. You're not that white. You said juicy. Oh, right. I'm juicy. Like, I'm like... It was uh, <laughs> Biggie Small's big song. Yeah. Bless. <laughs> Look at me. You knew who So are. hardcore. <laughs> So, guys, we'll be doing that. I want to say in two weeks, I'm going to give us a break so we can really do some research, you know, clarify our minds a little more. Listen to all the songs. Listen, yeah, I don't have to listen to it. They're already in my I love it. I love it. (laughs) I'm always like jamming it out to Tupac and Biggie. So, all right, guys, much love. We'll catch you soon. Bye. And stay weird. Bye. Bye.